You guys may be seated. We are uh, going to continue our series in First Peter, and uh, all through this series, if you haven't noticed it by now, Peter is uh, is putting on the plate some meat for mature believers. The things that he asks us to do, the things that Scripture requires us to do, that we learn through the book of First Peter, are not easy things to do. We are living as, as sojourners and strangers in a, in a foreign land. We don't belong, we don't fit, and yet we're called to go and to be something even more. And so when we begin to look at all these things that Peter calls us to do, uh, we realize that this is not just something for for anybody. This is something for those who desire to be mature in Christ, for those who, who desire to grow up in the Lord and become all that God uh, wants us to be. So today is no different. We're going to be looking at, at really the first of three different sections that talk about living under authority. And even the thought of living under authority does not sit well with our flesh. It does not sit well with who we are apart from the Lord. And, and so Peter here is calling believers to live on a level that's only possible as the Holy Spirit fills us and the Holy Spirit uh, has complete control over us. And so part of that process is you and I surrendering to God. And as we surrender ourselves to God, he empowers us to do the impossible. Uh, so these next three sections uh, uh, in Peter's letter are no exception to this rule that he's asking us to, to eat this meat that's prepared for mature believers. Uh, it's God's elect exiles. He says we live as strangers in a land. We're living under sometimes godless leaders and godless governments. The people in this day are living underneath uh, Nero, who is going to end up being one of the most severe persecutors of believers. And, and, and God, in his wisdom, is, is giving this, this, uh, this letter to Peter to write to the church to prepare them for what is coming. And so uh, here we are, we see that, that he's called them to be these elect exiles, to live underneath a godless leader. And then he calls them to do something that is impossible apart from a mature faith. And even the thought of this thing causes most of us in our flesh to revolt, to pull back, to push back against what God's calling us to do here. And yet this call is repeated again and again in Scripture. We'll look at several different places this morning where this call to submit to authority, to submit to, to leaders is, is placed upon us, and, and we're told that it's God's will for us to do this. Sometimes I fear that we as believers work harder to find reasons not to obey this passage than we would if we just tried to obey it. So as we dive into this passage this morning, I, I just want to give you a warning up front that your flesh is going to want to push back. But what we need to do is to allow the Holy Spirit to push through. And so let's look in, in, in Scripture this morning as we begin in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we'll begin in verse 13, and I want to read 13, 14, and 15 to you, and then we'll kind of dive in and look at what Peter is calling the believers to, to do. Uh, he's just called them, by the way, last week we looked at the fact that he called them to to, um, to abstain from their, their worldly passions and, the, and the, the passions of the flesh that wage war against their soul. And now in verse 13, he says, I want you to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So here in this passage, we see that, that, that he is calling us to, to be subject. And those first two words are the words that, that, that I don't know about you, but inside my spirit, push back. You, it, it's hard for us. We live in a country where we are given a lot of freedom. We live in a country where we are 
given a lot of free reign to do many of the things that, that we want to do. But yet that's not true for all believers. There are believers who live in countries where, where their, their rulers are not just, their rulers are not godly, their rulers are not people that, that are seeking after the Lord. And, and, and even though they may be good or they may be bad, as we'll see in some of these passages today, we are called to submit. And that is a hard thing for us to do. In this passage today, he's going to call us to submit to authorities. Next week's passage, he's going to talk about submitting uh, slaves submitting to their masters. And then the following passage, he deals with wives submitting to their husbands. And so there's three different passages in a row that he is going to present to us that, that he's calling for us to submit to someone. And that's not easy. So I thought that what I would do is deal with this passage about submitting to authorities, maybe the one dealing with slaves, and then I'm going to hand off to Dalton and let him talk about wives submitting to their husbands. So um, (laughs) I didn't tell him that ahead of time, but he's got it, Dalton. You can handle it, buddy. Uh, Here we go today. Let's look at this, submitting ourselves to those in authority. But but look what he says. He says, but be subject, but not just for any reason. Be subject for the Lord's sake. That's our motivation. We are going to submit ourselves to the governing authorities for the Lord's sake. There's something that God wants to do as Christians submit themselves to their governing authorities. But we tend to want to push back, and sometimes we push back really hard on our leaders. I think that sometimes we push back hard on our leaders trying to find fault in them so that we can justify not submitting ourselves to them. We, we look at them and we try to find fault in their personality. I don't like the way he looks. I don't like the way he talks. I think he's got this problem or that problem. And we begin to analyze them on, on camera. We, we do it many times by sound bites. We do it many times uh, in, in ways that are just uh, not, not fair to that person. But we try to find fault in them so that we can justify in our minds why we should not have to submit ourselves to them. Sometimes we push back because they don't belong to the political party that we belong to. And so we see it as our responsibility to do anything we can to derail their agenda, to stop it in its tracks, to keep it from going forward, and, 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 to, and to let them fail so that we can get our guy back in office the next time around. Sometimes we find fault through hearsay, gossip, social media, things that people post on all these, these platforms that we read and then we share and we repeat it again and again and again, trying to build up opposition to the person that we don't like. Sometimes we even buy into conspiracy theories and things that are out there that are just so far out. All in an effort to discredit the ones that we don't like and to promote the ones that we do like. But in this passage, Peter does not distinguish between those that are good and those that are bad. He says that we are to submit, to be subject to, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution to those that God has set up, to those that God has placed over us, to those that are there. And so our, 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 our pushback says really more about us than it does about them. It says that I'm not ready to do what God has called me to do. I'm not ready to submit myself to somebody that I don't like, to somebody whose agenda that I don't like. I'm not ready to submit myself to the governing authorities because I have forgotten who established that authority. In Romans chapter 13, Paul makes it clear who it is that establishes these authorities in our world. If you've got your Bibles, you may want to flip to, to Romans chapter 13. Because in this passage, Paul makes it super clear 
that God is the ultimate authority and God is the one that establishes the authorities in our world and in our lives. And so in, in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, he says this. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that, that exist, in other words, those authorities that exist in our world have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear? In other words, would you like to be set free from fear of the one that's in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God. Look how God's describing these in authority as God's servant, as the one that God's appointed, the institution that God has instituted himself. For he is the servant of God. He is an avenger uh, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. In other words, to be free of this fear that he's just talked about. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. So pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Here is his counsel for us. He says, God is the one who has established authorities. There, there is no one in authority that, that, that got there apart from God allowing that to happen. God is in control and God has established authorities. And sometimes those leaders forget that they are accountable to God. And sometimes it's our responsibility maybe to remind them that there is a, a, a supreme authority over them. But, it, but in, in, in the end, it's our responsibility to submit ourselves to be subject to their authority. And again, sometimes they forget that or maybe they just don't realize who put them in place. As I studied this this week and I thought about it, I thought about Jesus when he stood before Pilate. Remember the Jews that accused Jesus and they had had that mock court and now they brought him before Pilate and they're trying to get him crucified and, and Pilate's trying to sort things out. He's trying to figure out what in the world's going on and who this Jesus guy is and, and scripture says that Pilate understood the only reason the Jews brought him was that they were jealous of Jesus and, and he tried to set Jesus free several different times and and so finally they bring him back to Pilate in John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. Pilate's kind of asking Jesus some questions, where he's from and all those things. And scripture says Jesus didn't even answer Pilate. And listen to what Pilate said. He said, so Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? But look at Jesus' response. But Jesus answered him, verse 11, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Where does all authority come from? It comes from the Lord. And if God has established people in authority and he has called us to submit ourselves to their authority, when we don't submit ourselves to their authority, then we are not just rebelling against them, we are rebelling against God. You say, Rob, but some of these people in authority don't believe the way that I believe. And they don't stand for what I stand for. And they're not pushing an agenda that I like. 
The, the way that they try to manipulate the economy is not the way I think it should be manipulated. The, 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 the social issues that they push and their agenda that they do is not my agenda. And so you can't expect me to just be happy and, and just to, to roll over and, and, and not push back against that. Scripture says that we've got to submit ourselves to their authority. And this is a tricky thing for us to find a balance to do. It's hard sometimes for us to know where that balance is. What we are called not to do is the very thing that many times we do. We, we don't want to submit. We don't want to be ruled. There's something in our flesh that, that pushes back against that. Whether it's a governing authority or somebody at work, a boss telling you what to do, or, or, or whatever. There's something inside of us when we're told what we need to do just wants to push back against that. We did it as children growing up in homes. We do it in the workplace. We do it with our government. We just, we rebel this idea. And, and part of that is that's part of our DNA of our old man. We've done that even against God. And that's why we've ended up in the position that we're in. We push back and we try to discredit these people. We try to despise them because they're not one of us. We try to undermine their authority instead of recognizing that their authority came from God. Sometimes it's hard to respect the person, and we just have to respect the office, and we have to respect the, the position that God's placed there, and we have to, to find that balance between those two. But, but here in Romans 13, and then again in, in John 19, we're reminded that God is the ultimate authority, that he is the one that, that sets up kingdoms, and he's the one that takes kingdoms down. You read through the Old Testament and you see that the, the New Testament, the Old Testament Jews spent more time in exile underneath ungodly leaders than they did in their own homeland underneath godly leaders. And many times even their, in, in their homeland, their godly leaders were not godly leaders, they were ungodly leaders. And the Jews understood what it was to live underneath regimes that were not favorable to the things of God. Let's go back to 1 Peter and look at this passage again where, he's, where he's, he's, he's teaching us how that we are to live our lives. Back to, to verses 13 to 15. He says, be, be subject for the Lord's sake. Again, that's our motivation to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor, the supreme one, or to the governors, those that he's put in positions. Um, and it says that he's put them there to punish those that do evil and to praise those that do good. Wouldn't it be nice if government always did that? Sometimes our government gets it backwards, huh? You talk to some of my, our, our minority races and see if that doesn't get flipped sometimes. Those that do nothing sometimes get punished. And those that do evil sometimes get rewarded. It would be nice if they always followed the will of the Lord. And that's why God set them up. And that was God's intention for them. And it doesn't always happen that way. But he said, it is God's will that you and I would be subject to those governments. And that by doing good, we could put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So we submit to these human authorities because we are submitted to God. And we desire to do the good that God has put us here to do. And so we do it for the Lord's sake to accomplish the Lord's will. And, and that means that I must trust the sovereignty of God. That if God's put somebody in power that I don't like and that I don't agree with, that I, I just have to say, Lord, you know what? You're sovereign, and if you don't want that person in office, you could take them out, and you could take them out tomorrow, but that's your job, God, not my job. And so we trust in the sovereignty of God, and, and we trust that our allegiance is first and foremost to God 
and then to those authorities that God has established. So we don't compromise our convictions. We don't compromise our character by participating in sinful conduct. And, and, and I understand this. Listen, there's many times as Christians that we would like to discredit those who don't see things the way that we see things. And we pick these issues that are big issues to us. And we want to say, I can't follow this one because of, and we name the issue. It could be the economy, it could be social issues, it could be his personality, it could be his personal life, it could be all of those kinds of things. And we can focus on those issues and say, I can't follow him because of this. But sometimes the, the real issue is, is not just them, it's, it's us. And it's this desire not to be ruled, not to be led. Here's the rule that Scripture lays out for us, is that we are to submit to authority to the point that it requires us to sin against God. And then at that point, our allegiance is to God. Our allegiance is always to God, but but, but our allegiance to God trumps our allegiance to anyone else. We see this illustrated back in the Old Testament in several different places, and two places that in particular that come to mind is in Daniel chapter 3 and in Daniel chapter 6. Uh, in these two places in, in, in the book of Daniel, we see the story of, of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Y'all remember the story? We learned those stories back in, in, in children's church or back in vacation Bible school. It's the story of these three Hebrew children that, that had risen to great power. And what I, what I want to show you in, these, in these, these two stories is two stories about four men. First story is about three men that were living in, uh, in this kingdom that was an ungodly kingdom. And, uh, and these, these men all submitted themselves to the authority, but ultimately to God's authority. Chapter 3 is a story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar had set up this golden image, and he had required all of his people, when the music began to play, for everybody to bow down and to worship this 90-foot-tall image that he had created. 90-foot tall, 9-foot wide, and everybody had to bow. And when it came time to bow, these three men who wanted to bow to no one but God, refused to bow. And you know the story. They were cast into the fiery furnace. And they were going to be put to death for their faith. And right before they were cast into the fiery furnace, they were given a chance again to, to bow. And they said, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, we, we cannot bow. We have served you faithfully. Listen, these guys were higher ups. They, they were exiles that had been taken into that country and they had risen in power. They were, they were men that were, were honored. They were men that had submitted to the government. They were men who had, who had honored the, the king even though he was wicked. And, and in that faithfulness of their service, they had been promoted. But they reached a point under that king to where they said, you know what, so far we've been able to serve you and to serve God. But now you're asking us to deny our faith and to serve you and to bow to you. And we can't do that. These these men had served faithfully. But they drew the line in the sand when he said, you've got to bow to me and to my image. And they said, we can't. In Daniel chapter 6. Daniel's serving under King Darius, and King Darius decides uh, through some of his advisors, and, and, and Daniel had moved his way up. Listen, there was, there was three leaders, three that were called presidents, three presidents in the kingdom under Darius, and Daniel was one of those three. 
And the king was about to promote him to be the head president of all and to rule that whole kingdom. And the other guys got jealous, and they began to try to find some fault with Daniel, and they could find no fault with him. And, and it's interesting in that passage, it says that, that as they look for a way to, to find fault and to, to cast slurs upon him and to, to bring him down so that he wouldn't be promoted, sounds like us. They could find no fault with him except for his devotion to God, Scripture says. And so they, they go to the king and say, king, we've got this great idea. For the next 30 days, we're going to make a rule, and we want you to sign it, that nobody can pray to anybody but you. And if anybody prays to anybody but you, they're going to be punished. And so the king goes, hey, man, that fits my ego. That works great. Let's, let me, where can I sign? And the king signs the order. And Daniel continues, knowing the order, the Bible says, he continues to do exactly what he had done before. He goes into his room, he, he, he opens the window, it's facing Jerusalem, he gets down on his knees, he prays to the living God three times a day. And those men have caught him now, practicing his religion in defiance of the king. They drag Daniel before the king. King Darius loves Daniel. He's about to promote him to the number one guy in the, in, in the, in the country. And, 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 and they say, we've caught him, and this is what he's done, and the order that you issued cannot be reversed. You've got to put him to death. And the king was distraught. So the king was up all night long. Couldn't sleep because he loved Daniel. And even as they're getting ready to cast Daniel into this den of lions, the king is saying, Daniel, I pray your God will save you, that he will protect you from this. The king knew about Daniel's faith. And the king was his biggest cheerleader at that moment. Why? Because Daniel had served faithfully under that king. Even though there were things about that king I'm sure Daniel disagreed with. All four of these men served faithfully. All four of them rose in power because of their faithfulness. Yet all four had to resist rather than to sin. Our temptation today especially when somebody's in power that we don't agree with or we don't agree with their social agenda or their political agenda, our, our, our temptation today is an all-out attack on that person. We fly flags in our yard that say, he's not my president. We put bumper stickers on our car. We, we do all kinds of things on social media. We, we get out there and let people know that I don't like this guy and I'm not supporting this person and I don't want him to succeed. We wonder why our Congress is so gridlocked because now it's not become pushing your agenda. It's just opposing the other person's agenda. And, and there's a refusal to work together. There's a refusal to submit to that. And, 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 and so we get into these, these periods of time where it, the temptation today is to skip the submission and go straight to the resistance. But in doing that, the Bible says we are being sinful. You say, Rob, hang on, hang on. Are you saying that we need to support these agendas that we don't agree with? I don't think that's what Scripture says either. But look what he says here in, in verse 15. He says that we are, for, for this, is the, this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Here's what I think Scripture is calling us to do. If you don't agree with that person's agenda, you don't agree with their political stance or their social issues, bring a better idea to the table. Anybody can criticize. Anybody can pick it. Anybody can post stuff on social media. It takes somebody with God-given wisdom and God-given discernment to bring something better to the table. And, and you can honor the king and you can honor the one in authority by coming alongside of them and saying, look, I, I know what you're trying to accomplish. I've got a better idea. I've got an idea that makes it 
accomplish what you want to accomplish and still be able to do so in a way that God can bless. Bring a better idea to the table. Let your good silence the fools. In other words, let your good be so good the fools don't have any other way to combat that. Be subject to them. This is the will of the Lord, so that by doing good, you can put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He calls us to to silence them. And so instead of despising and degrading and trying to derail our opponents, why don't we bring something to the table much better? Why don't we, instead of just sitting back and criticizing, start ministries that, that repair the damage that some of those policies are doing? Christians are great about standing up for abortion, but I don't see a lot of people funding adoption. Christians are great about hollering about this thing and that thing and all these issues that are out there. But I don't see many Christians rolling up their sleeves and trying to do something to to change those things. This is what Peter's saying. He's saying, look, don't don't spend your time fighting it. Spend your time finding a way to do good. And how can they argue with that when you and I invest in something even better? So bring to the table something better. Demonstrate how God's ways are superior. And, And do this, listen... Do this and not worry about who's going to get the credit. Listen, I think we could have a lot of great ideas in our country. We could accomplish some great stuff through through government and through other things that God's instituted if people would just stop worrying about who's going to get the credit. But whatever party's in control, the other party doesn't want to bring any ideas to the table because if I bring them to the table, who's going to get the credit? When, When the press release hits, who's going to get the credit for this great idea? And so we just stonewall. We just stop and we just... We choke the life out of our country. And Christians are the, the ones that do that a lot. Bring a better idea to the table. And don't worry about who gets the credit. Let God sort that out. Verse 16. He says, I want you to live as people who are free. You say, man, I like that. I'm free to do what I want to do. Jesus has set me free. But he says, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So when we live as servants of God, who've been set free from our, our sinful tactics and our sinful methods and that sinful flesh that pushes back on what God says that we're supposed to do, he says here, we won't use our freedom as an excuse to sin against those that God's placed in power and ultimately against God himself. Christians will talk about our freedom, but not our freedom to submit, but our freedom to push back, our freedom to stand and to oppose, to stand for our rights. We fight for all of those kinds of things, but we don't necessarily stand for for what Scripture says that we need to stand for here. If we will not use our sin as a cover-up for evil. You say, what, what is he talking about? This evil of maligning those in authority. We, we use our freedom sometimes as an excuse or justification to malign those and to, to, to hurt those that are in authority. He says, don't do that. Instead, live as a servant of God. As servants of God, we know More so than anybody else, we know who's in control. We know who is sovereign. 
We know that, that, that if somebody rose to power and they were in power and, and God didn't want them there, that, that all God's got to do is speak the word and they're done. It's over. That God's got that authority, not us. And as God's way is made known, the ignorance of fools are silenced. There's another passage I want to look at real quick this morning in Titus chapter 3. This is probably one of my favorite passages when we deal with this subject is here in Titus chapter 3. Paul is writing to a young pastor named Titus. He's a pastor on this island called Crete. Paul has left him there to establish this church and to make it strong and to to guide it in the principles that are going to to continue to let that church grow and be strengthened. And he's he's talked about how the grace of God has come and and it's been poured out upon the believers. And then in chapter 3, he says, I want you to remind them, these believers, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good work. There's those good works again. Bringing those good things to the table. So be submissive. Be obedient. Be ready. Be ready to be used for good. And then he says some things we don't do. Don't speak evil. Don't, he says be, be ready to, for every good work. To speak evil of no one. What if believers just started doing that? Avoid quarreling. Be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people. Does that sound like the atmosphere we live in today? Does that sound like the way that we behave ourselves? We say we believe this book. We say that we believe the word of God to be true, that it's our lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And yet we we pick and we choose what we want to do. And here he's saying, be be submissive and, and be obedient. Be ready for good work. Don't speak evil of anyone. Avoid the quarreling. Be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people. Why in the world would I want to do that? Well, he answers that in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish. You you think they're crazy what they believe? You think they're stupid for what they're doing? You think they're sinful? Well, you were once there, he says. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. We passed our days in malice and envy. We were hated by others and we were hating others. What's he saying? You, you, You push back against these people because... Because what they do, but he says, you were once just like them. Have we forgotten that? There ought to be a level of compassion with us as believers that the world can't match. There ought to be a level of concern and courtesy and gentleness that the world can't even fathom. Why? Because that's what Jesus poured out on us. And that's what won our hearts and drew us to the Lord and brought us into this relationship with Jesus Christ. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to these passions and pleasures. We passed our days in malice and envy. 
And we were hated by others, and we hated one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, what was it that appeared? Look at that. The goodness and the loving kindness of God. He saved us. Not because we had it all together. Not because of the works done by us. Not because we had all of our stuff in a row, our ducks in a row. It wasn't because of works done by us in righteousness. But it was according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Why? So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, he says. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. For these things are excellent and profitable for people. So there's some things we're called to do here, and some things we're called to avoid. And he gives us a reason for both. Don't live like the world. You've lived there long enough. Don't, don't despise these people and call them names and, and, and do all that kind of stuff because you know why? Because you used to be just like that. And it wasn't God calling you names and it wasn't God shoving you aside. It wasn't God derailing everything you tried to do. It was God pouring out his mercy and his loving kindness and his goodness upon you that won your heart. Again, there needs to be compassion from us as believers. You want to you win the ear of those in authority so that you can speak the truth and you can speak the gospel and you can hope that it makes a difference, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that by screaming at the darkness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, they served faithfully. And the king recognized their faithfulness and he placed them in positions of authority. And then there came that time where they said, hey, king, we, we can't cross that line. Sorry. Can't cross that line. Not going to do that. And they were willing to pay the price, the ultimate price of their life for that stand for the Lord. Listen, guys, there's things that government does that I don't like. But it's not requiring me to sin. There's things and laws that are passed that, that, that I don't think are moral, that I don't think are right, that I don't think are, are, are true and just before the Lord, but they're not forcing me to do those things. And we've got to listen to the Word of God if we want to be children of God that follow the Lord. And we've got to hear what He says. Because we're not going to win them by hurting them, but by loving them. By learning to respect them, by having a gentle and courageous and courteous response. Back in First Peter chapter two, the final verse I want to look at this morning it tells us four things that we're to do. Verse seventeen says, "Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor." He starts with honor to honor everyone and to honor the emperor. To honor is to show respect, to show esteem for those people. And we're called to do that for everyone. 
high and mighty, low or not, but all the way up to the emperor. So we're called to honor even those we disagree with. We honor them with our words, with our attitudes, with our actions, with our love and with our support. We honor the emperor by learning to submit even when we don't agree. And then he says, love the brotherhood. There's going to be brothers in Christ that stand up and say, you know what, I can't participate in this. We've heard those stories over the years of those who, because of their Christian convictions, have refused to participate in things that the government has sanctioned. And it's been costly for them. Some have lost their businesses, their livelihood. Some have seen attacks upon their character and upon their families as well. And we're to love those people, to help them through those difficult times as they, as they refuse to cross the line in the sand and do something that government required them to do that was costly. But we also love the brotherhood by not participating in the unbiblical responses that many people who call themselves Christians do every day. We encourage other believers in their struggle and we support them even when submission to the authority becomes costly. And I think it's interesting that in this last sentence here, there's only one person that we're called to fear. He says to fear God. We honor others, we love others, but we fear God. We do this out of a reverence and a respect for the Lord. And that goes back to where we started today. Be subject for the Lord's sake to those God's placed in authority. That's not easy. That's not easy at all. When I was a youth minister, you know, 150 years ago, um, right about the time God created dirt, I remember kids in my youth group they were going through difficult situations at home and at school and other places. And I had one kid in particular, and he just had this rebellious nature. I mean, it was just, he was not in the right place. And his whole thing is, I don't have to listen to my parents. And I tried to explain to him that God placed him in that family. God picked his family, and God placed him in that family. And it wasn't the easiest, it wasn't the best, it wasn't the most encouraging. But God had chosen that family for him. And he says, well, I, I'm just not, I'm not going to, I'm going to be my own boss. And I said, listen, God's put you there to teach you how to submit. Because for the rest of your life, you're going to have to learn to submit to authority. He says, no, I'm not, I'm going to have my own business. I said, then you're going to have to submit to those you serve. Well, I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll be my own boss and I'll have my own business and I don't have to listen to anybody. And I said, <laughs> you don't understand, you know. Where are you going to live? Well, I'm going to have me a house or an apartment. Then you're going to be under somebody in that apartment or you're going to be somebody, you know, accountable to that bank. Everywhere you go, there's going to be somebody in authority over you. What, you're going to buy your own island? You're going to live on your own? You're going to make your own? Somewhere in your life, there's going to be somebody over you. And until you learn how to submit to that authority, you're going to be out of whack. And my counsel to him was this. Learn to submit to that authority that God's put you under now. Those who may not love you perfectly, but at least they love you. Because your boss one day, he's not going to care. That, that guy that, that runs that apartment complex, he's not going to care. Because you're out and somebody else is in. Learn to do it under those that, that love you. 
And then you'll be able to do it under those that don't. And I think for us as believers, guys, we've got to first and foremost submit ourselves to the Lord that loves us. And until we are comfortable submitting ourselves fully to the Lord, we're never going to be willing to submit ourselves to somebody that's ungodly and somebody that doesn't have our best interest at heart. This all starts, and it's only possible, as I said as we started, it's only possible as the Holy Spirit does this work in us. He can only, only He can help us to accomplish that. Now again, this is meat for the mature. There are some that will listen to this and say, man, that's, that's just, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. But those of you that want to go deeper with God, sometimes that path, it's like Rebecca said about that song, sometimes God has to, to crush us and to squeeze us to make new wine, to make us into the people that God wants us to be. And this is part of that process. And it's not easy. I look back on my life and I look back about the things that I've said about politicians and I look back at the things that I've complained about and griped about. And as I read this passage, man, I'm convicted that I need to do a lot less complaining, a lot more praying, a lot more supporting, and a lot more trying to bring the good ideas to the table, no matter who gets credit for that. That's not easy to do. It's not easy to do in government. It's not easy to do in church. It's not easy to do in our homes. But it's a biblical response for us as believers. So I don't expect a lot of amens today, but I do expect this, that we would listen to the counsel of God's word. And we began to ask him to search our hearts and to weed out those attitudes and those actions and those things that we're doing that contradict what his word tells us to do here. And it's not an instant process. And it's not easy. And it may not even be popular among Christians. But guys, I think it's biblical. And I think God clearly calls us to do that. So I would encourage you to do your best to get there and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And the next time you want to rise up and, and revolt and, and, and plaster stuff all over Facebook and all over social media, that you would just let the Lord speak to you instead. Let's bow together and let's pray. And then we're going to have our baptism service.